0: Hello, my name is Jacob Fenston. Welcome to this podcast, produced by the International Monetary Fund. When Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations in 1776, the richest countries in the world were four or five times wealthier than the poorest nations. Today, that gap is ten times wider. According to Darren Asimoglu, economist at MIT, the root causes of a nation's poverty or prosperity can be traced to its political institutions. Asimoglu co-wrote the recent best-selling book Why Nations Fail, which argues that more democratic countries with more inclusive political and economic institutions create sustained prosperity while extractive authoritarian regimes lead to poverty. What then to make of China's extraordinary growth over the past 30 years while Western democracies flounder?
1: I, mean, I think that's a very good question because uh, many people associate Chinese growth with its own authoritarian brand of uh, capitalism. But at some level, and we go quite, uh, quite a bit into the details of this in the book, uh, China is not an exception because of two things. First of all, Chinese growth has come precisely when China started reforming its economic institutions from its severely extractive version under Mao that really provided no incentives whatsoever and even punished success towards one based on price incentives and entrepreneurship and its own version of private property rights. But secondly, even with that observation, one might say, but isn't China an exception because these incentives have developed under an authoritarian system and doesn't it show that you can have growth under authoritarian extractive political institutions perhaps with inclusive economic institutions and even that i think is not an exception because history is full of examples of extractive growth meaning growth that takes place under the auspices of authoritarian extractive political institutions, because the system finds it in its interest to grow, or it finds that it can actually achieve growth and therefore increase the resources available to itself without endangering its survival. We have seen this, for example, in history, as far back uh, as many of the ancient empires from Chinese to Roman. More recently, for example, with the Soviet Russia, which had almost 50 years of very rapid growth under a very, very extractive regime. And it is facilitated greatly, and this I think is very relevant for China, using technology that has already been developed, thus based on catch-up growth and not on innovation. The real test of the Chinese model, and if you want The real test of our framework will be if China is able to reach an income level of 60, 70, 80 percent of that of the United States, at which point it would only be able to do so by developing its own technology, its own niche, its own innovations. And if it can do so under extractive political institutions, then that would really
0: be a rejection
1: of our perspective.
0: You write about creative destruction and how that is something that's necessary to create prosperity. Um, What is that and, and why doesn't it happen somewhere like China right now? Because creative destruction is destabilizing. Creative destruction involves new
1: technology replacing old, new firms replacing old, new people replacing old. That creates two sorts of problems. First, people who are being replaced don't like it, and they tend to be politically powerful. But even more fundamentally, that process itself creates instability. It destroys coalition, it destroys power bases, and it risks the entire edifice of the political power of rulers being threatened, and that's why you always hear this code word, we don't want this because of the stability. That often means we don't want this because as rulers we're worried that we're going to be subject to opposition destabilizing the system.
0: Comparing China to the United States, um, at the same time that uh, China has been growing really rapidly over the past 30 years, inequality in the United States has been rising uh, equally rapidly. What are your thoughts about that? I gather you you think that there's underlying different institutions that keep those systems in check.
1: That's absolutely true, but I would also add that Increasing inequality is a real problem for the United States. In the book, we talk of the example of Venice, which became one of the richest places in the world based on inclusive economic and political institutions, but then it all came crumbling down because political power became more and more concentrated in the hands of a small elite who then used that power to block others and uh, create more and more powerful monopolies for themselves. The same is always a danger for any inclusive institutions, and the main threat comes from one group of successful businessmen or sometimes politicians monopolizing power so much that they can start creating a tilted playing field in their favor. Economic inequality is an input into that. In the United States, as you have said, we've seen a huge increase in economic inequality, especially concentrated at the very top. And the concern becomes that Those who are becoming so rich and so wealthy are having a disproportionate impact on the political system. And unfortunately, we're seeing that. We're seeing that through lobbying, campaign contributions, their exposure in the media, and more recently through Citizens United cases. So I think all of these create perhaps a perfect storm threatening American inclusive institutions. I wouldn't forecast their demise, but I think it's it's the right time for us to start
0: worrying about them. Given that staying power of those sorts of institutions, is there hope for, uh, for uh, poor nations? Yes, absolutely, because if you look at it, all inclusive institutions came out of the
1: ashes of extractive institutions. No nation was born with inclusive institutions, and these institutions started changing. And I think one of the important aspects of an institutional explanation is precisely that it's not deterministic. It's not one in which uh, our fates are outside our
0: hands. That was economist Darren Asimoglu, co-author with James Robinson of Why Nations Fail. For more podcasts, visit us online at www.imf.org podcasts.